Good afternoon. This is RJ with the IWS podcast, and I have my very awesome special person today, my lovely intern, Marissa. How are you doing, Marissa? I am doing great. Hello to everyone listening. <laughs> this is obviously a first because I haven't had anybody working with me that's been on the other side. So it's very interesting, but I'm hoping that we're both going to learn a lot and maybe a lot that will be shared. Perhaps other people will benefit, as I always hope. So let's jump right in, if you don't mind. All right. Yeah, let's go. Now, obviously, I've had some conversations with you um, over the past few weeks and learned a bit about you. But a lot of the audience, of course, doesn't know anything. Yeah. And I, so I want to start, as I typically do, really talking about your family dynamics and your upbringing, because I think it's important for us to understand how we sort of grow into these people that we are. So right. you don't mind sharing a little bit about what was your experience like growing up in your household? Oh, well, I am very grateful to say that I grew up with a loving family with both of my parents and my younger brother. We um, we moved down here when I was about almost two years old and my brother was literally fresh out the womb at four months. Mm -hmm. And we I basically lived here, I guess you can say, my whole life in Miami and I had a really loving family. I have constant support and I cannot ask for anything more from them. And I can say, like, like I said before, I'm very grateful to have parents that support me and love me as much as they do, because I know there are many people out there that don't. No, very true. And I mean, even the fact that you said that you were able to have both your parents in the household, I think is important to acknowledge. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the people that I talk to from a clinical perspective, a lot of us grow up in single parent households. Sometimes it's because one parent couldn't be there. Sometimes it's because somebody in my case might have passed away. So regardless, you're sort of missing a piece, a fundamental piece of what is necessary to grow into a healthy, functional adult. But it's good yeah. for you. And I'm glad, truly, that you had both of those people in your life. Is there anything in particular in terms of the relationship between you and either parent, do you think that you gravitate more towards one or so than the other? Well, I'm honestly, I have, I don't want to say super different relationships with the both of them, but I know mm. that they're both not the same. Uh, there are some things that I love to do with my mom rather than doing with my dad and vice versa. Sure. And, you know, I just feel that we connect with different things, but I can definitely say that like, we have our differences in the way that we hang out with one another, um, you know, just laying around in the house. Like, I feel that they both have their elements where there are some days where I might gravitate towards the other than, than like, let's say, for example, my dad and I, I just want to be with my mom. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I feel like they both even out the things that, um, you know, you kind of look for in your parents, like, staying grounded, uh, the love and support, or like the the warm and the fuzzies, that kind of thing. So right. it's like, you know, I feel like they both even each other out in terms of what a child should be getting from their parent. Beautiful. Okay. And I, I do agree. I think that that balance is always really important. That's ultimately what we want for every child. I will ask you in a little more detail, how do you feel like the roles were in your household? You know, how do who did what in your upbringing? Well, according to my mother, which I was actually talking to her about it the other day, my mom was a bit of the stern one when we were younger. My dad wasn't. And, you know, 
there was this thing that my mom told me where whenever we would go out in public, let's say, for example, to the grocery store, to the mall, we would usually get sat down, both of me and my brother. And my mom would say, if you act out, like she basically just said, don't act out or she's mm. going to be very upset or something like that. Right. So, you know, in terms of that, it was my mom mainly when we were growing up and she basically set these principles in which we have carried out into us becoming older where we pretty much know how to act in public, how to act at the house, how to act at somebody else's house. So, you know, she instilled these behaviors that I feel were definitely healthy and not brought about in a negative way. We weren't very, just like, we weren't distrusting kids. They have like full trust in us to do the right thing, to make sure that we're keeping in touch whenever we're out in public. So I feel that, you know, you know, of course, my dad, he had his way of putting his foot down when we were younger. But I feel that whenever it was in an everyday situation sort of setting, which luckily she didn't have to sit us down too often because we listened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was mainly my mom. Okay. As, as more of the go-to person to help in terms of maybe discipline or just help you provide that, that structure, that feedback? Like in terms of discipline, it was like my mom and you know, my dad bringing kind of in that structure, like you just said, um, in terms of, you know, as like, now that I'm in this stage of my life where I have a car, um, I've been driving to farther distances and all those things like that. I am always making sure that they are both aware of where I am, where I'm going, Mm -hmm. when I get there, when I'm leaving, you know, it's just so that way we're safe. And, you know, they both know when, to step back, but also step in. Okay. And also just to clarify for the audience, how old are you? I am 20 years old. Okay. And I, I, in April. Okay. And the reason why I asked you, thank you for sharing that, is because I want them to be able to understand the context of as you're starting to get older and navigating the adult child relationship, which is very different than when you're a minor. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot more say so usually in terms of the decisions that you're going to make, the freedoms that you're allowed to exercise and what have you. But yes. once you become an adult, usually there's a little bit of a step back from the parenting role, more of a, I would hope, say, hopefully say an advisory or guidance type of role, less of a do as I say type of role. Yes. But it's important to understand the dynamics because all of our families are different. And so what I usually see is from a traditional perspective is that the father or the man of, again, both parents are in their uh, life and in the relationship in the house, that the man will be the provider in the traditional sense, the disciplinarian, the person who provides structure and order, and the mother will be more of the empathetic, compassionate, warm person who helps to make sure that the children are in comfortable living environments where they're able to openly express themselves and how they feel. Would you say that your family exhibited aspects of a traditional family lifestyle or was there some variation or differences for you guys? I would definitely say it was way more of a traditional sense. My dad, when we moved down here, was the one who worked and my mom was the one that stayed home, took care of Mm -hmm. us, made sure we were fed, made sure we were getting our warm hugs and kisses. And, you know, my dad the same. But, you know, it's like you said. He had a, he gave us structure. He gave the house order. He provided for us for the for for all three of us. Um, you know, I'm grateful to say that like 
or I'm sure my mom is grateful and my dad that he's the only one that has to work because I know there are a lot of families where both parents have to work, which yes, like you were mentioning earlier, kind of gives a little bit of a disbalance in the household, especially when, you know, let's say for example, child comes home from school, let's say they're in middle school, comes mm. home from school, there might not be anybody in the house because they're working to provide for said child. Correct. So it could be very difficult and like, not as connecting when at least one parent is home. Absolutely. And I, you know, and I appreciate you saying that I, I asked those questions because a lot of the people that I talk to both from a clinical perspective and then also just the type of interviews that I've done is I try to talk a lot about the parenting perspective because I think it's important. Not that there's one way of doing things and it must be that way, but it's just understanding what normally tends to occur, which is why we're talking about traditional families. And the fact that you mentioned that having one person at home, I think that that's important because then you get to have that aspect of that continuity where somebody is frequently present in your life. And then hopefully that helps to strengthen the bond and the relationship you have with that person, ultimately with both of them. But we understand that it's, you know, you have limited contact with the person who's typically working often. Mm -hmm. But the point is that the children feel like they are grounded in their family and dynamic and in their family environment because somebody is there that helps to provide that level of structure and order, like Absolutely. who's sort of on the ground. Right. So I'm glad that you came from that background. You know, like I said, because a lot of the people that I talk to, we don't. And so when you see that, I, I like to highlight that because I think that it's important that we consider striving for that. Because I believe that children are turned out better. They get better outcomes when they grow up in, in environments like that. It doesn't necessarily mean that fathers always have to be the one that works and that provides, but typically we do. And typically the woman would stay home. Mm -hmm. It's not a minimizing each other's role though. They're both vitally important. Yes, absolutely. I feel that the consistency of having at least one parent at home who is emotionally available is super important mm -hmm. because, you know, it's like, you know, what you've told me about, your dad, who he was there basically to keep you out of the streets, you know, yeah. and it's like not available. So it's like, you know, to have my mom be home, ask me how school was, how am I feeling? How did your day go? Right. What do you have planned for the rest of the day? Like, you know, it's, it's something that's very, I feel like you were saying it's very overlooked. And I feel it's like so important to have in the house because if you don't, then it almost like derails you like for the rest of your life. Yeah, no, it very much can. And so we're trying to encourage those that might be interested in having families at some point, and I'm sure we, you and I will get into that later, mm -hmm. that we are trying to set a good tone and a precedent. So you're fortunate and I'm glad that you did, that you came from that environment. So you get to have that good experience and those memories because you've already got to see them. Yeah. So it's not gonna be hard to imagine, oh, is that how my family could look like? Yeah, of course I can, I came from that type of, family and environment. Mm -hmm. But what happens for a lot of us that don't see that we don't come from those environments, it's harder to envision, because you don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard to imagine what you've never seen. It's hard to do things that you were never taught. And when we're growing up in our family environments, mom, dad, whoever's there, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, we learn so much from what we observe. It's not always what we're explicitly told. It's a lot of, especially children. A lot right. of it's just what you see. You implicitly learn from what you see. So when you get to see two healthy, grounded people in a relationship, i.e. your mother and your father, 
in your day-to-day life majority of the time. Mm-hmm. That helps set a really good tone for what you should expect as you get older, what you would tolerate, what you wouldn't tolerate. Mm-hmm. And it helps you have a better example of what to strive for. But when you don't have it, it's harder to know how to approach that. So that's the point of us really going into detail about that. And I hope that for those that didn't come from that environment, like myself, we try to connect ourselves with those that have and try to learn what are those aspects and attributes that we would look for in a person, in a partner, so we can create that type of family when we get older. Absolutely. Now, pivoting off of you and your family, mm-hmm. because obviously this platform is largely talking about mental health. Yeah. And I know we might have touched a little bit on it, but I do want to ask just because you know you work with me, mm-hmm. have you and your past sought out therapy services? I absolutely have. It began, let's see, I remember the month and everything. October 2016 was when mentally I was not really doing well. To give a point of reference in time, I was 14 in my freshman year of high school. Mm. And there was this one night of extreme, extreme anxiety for which I will say now, the reason why I did go to therapy was because I had done a lot of overthinking to myself for the point to the point where I couldn't eat properly and I couldn't sleep properly, which majorly affected the way I looked at myself and the way I was living life at that point in time. So I reached out to my parents, told them I wasn't really doing well in terms of what it was that I was overthinking about. And they knew they were there for me a hundred percent. They knew that I was struggling and they knew that I wanted help at this point in time where it was, I want to say December, 2016 was when my dad asked me if I wanted to go to therapy and I said, yes. And it was a on and off process. Uh, Let's see. I think I went consistently for six or seven months every week. Or if not over every week, there was a couple months where it was every two weeks where I would go. Yeah. And you know, the advice that I got there was probably some advice that I will carry out for the rest of my entire life. And it's something that I'm grateful for because there are some parents that believe it'll go away. Therapy is a waste of money. Therapy won't like help you. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a whole bunch of stigma and a whole bunch of like negative thoughts on it, where in reality, it was very beneficial to me. I am human proof that therapy can really, really help you in terms of even if it's to get something that's really bothering you off your chest mm-hmm. or just say anything that you would want to say that you think would make you feel better. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, I appreciate you saying that. I think, number one, it's, to me, it's always important to showcase individuals who are willing to acknowledge what you just acknowledged because there's a lot of power and again being able to visualize and see somebody really owning the fact that they may not have always been in the best mental or emotional space and were willing to recognize that they needed to go and get some help and shout out to your father for even being willing to go with that because every, especially for dads that's not very common no it's not very common like because we we don't usually look at that as a tool or a mechanism if you will, right. to address those issues. There's many other ways we might think about dealing with it. And, and I'll get into that in a moment as well. But I think it's important that we recognize the value of being able to engage in that type of activity because 
of how much benefit you can get, whether it is, as you said, to just get some stuff off your chest, whether it is to actually process some things that you might be experiencing mm -hmm. right now in real time. Yep. But also I would add to the fact that sometimes a lot of times what we may do is just offer a different perspective or viewpoint to how you're seeing something and just mm -hmm. giving you that insight might allow you to consider an alternative, a way to approach what you're dealing with, which then will release the level of stress, anxiety, depressive feelings that someone yeah. might be having. Gotcha. So all those are, are possibilities, but it all starts with number one, like you said, acknowledging something's wrong. Number two, being able to find the resources, or in this case, speaking to your family to help you get you in touch with somebody. And then number three, actually going through with it and starting the process. Right. It was a really, I want to say like a very relieving experience and a very, you know, therapy isn't, you don't just go up. It's a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it isn't something where you go one session, boom, you're fine. That's not how it works. <laughs> if, if only, right. If only, right. Be a lot so, you know, it, it does take some time. And, you know, I will say that I didn't only go for just those seven months. Like it was, let me see, it was like almost a year or, or like six months afterward that I went back because I was experiencing those same feelings again, those same thoughts again. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's trying to remember to apply the things that you learned and stick to it because sometimes I am really like, I just got to say it like there are some times where I forget. Sometimes I just forget to apply those things that I learned from yes. my therapist and I revert back to those really bad old habits. And, you know, it it happened like, let me see, it was like two years or a year that I hadn't gone that I told my parents that I wanted to go back because I was going back to those terrible old habits. And, mm. you know, there, you always got to say, you're always going to tell your parents not to worry, but of course they're going to worry anyway. Like that's just something you can't turn off. Right. So I told them, I think I need to go back. I just wanted to let that off my chest. Let's see if we can like make a date or something. I went two weeks or three, I went to like three sessions after that. And then COVID came, but I will say before COVID came, I was already in a better space. Just like you said, it, it's letting certain things off your chest really does bring everything into perspective and let you work out things in your brain that, you know, because it's like what you've told me, like writing stuff down, saying it out loud verbally, like it's mm -hmm. those are all things that could help and at least make it more physical and make it right. more real. Absolutely. So, you know, I feel like that's definitely something that I struggle with is like trying to just place it somewhere and then be able to breathe afterward. So, you know, there it's like, it's been almost two years. I think it's already been two years since I've last been. And I'm just happy to know that the option is always there whenever I need it. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, to go back to your point, you were mentioning, we call that externalizing the yeah. emotions. So whether you're saying it out loud, you're journaling, voice memo, record yourself, however you want to do it. The purpose is to try to get it out of your head. So it's not just going in this feedback loop that you have internally where you're not sharing with anybody else because mm -hmm. that's not particularly helpful. But the second part, like you said, having the access and knowing that it's okay and it's appropriate if you need that help to go get it. That to me is, is one of the harder challenges that I've been facing both personally in my own life, but then also as I've gotten older and trying to work with other people, 
And then if you look at it almost from a cultural lens, there's a pretty big barrier to entry for a lot of people because they, as you mentioned earlier, they have stigma attached to going to talk to somebody because they may perceive it as there's something seriously wrong with me and I shouldn't have these issues. Or um, in a lot of cases, in my experience, is that we might go seek out like a faith leader of our whatever our particular religious aspects that we follow. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. But in a lot of cases, there might be certain aspects about what we're going through that we don't acknowledge, or more importantly, we don't actually deal with. Mm-hmm. We just sort of may do the praying part and hoping that it just sort of absolves us and we move forward. But that doesn't really fix everything. Mm-hmm. So I always like to make that note to say the general disposition for a lot of folks is that I really don't need to go because whatever I'm dealing with, probably not that bad. And it probably isn't going to be for that long. Mm-hmm. But then the other part to it is when you go from a cultural lens, and I'm going to sort of start to ask you a little bit more about this. In my experience, in Black and Latino cultures, it's very commonplace to seek out uh, a faith-based therapist or spiritual counselor to try to navigate some difficulty, difficulties or challenges that somebody's facing at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. That's not everybody's experience, but in my experience, that's a lot. That's what a lot of us may do. So I want to ask you, do you, do you or have you noticed in your life any type of cultural disparity or challenge if you wanted to go seek out therapy where it wasn't maybe as commonly accepted because of your culture and the way that people see it? Honestly, like I said, like, I'm just really grateful to, you know, like, I do want to say, though, when at the very, very beginning before my father even asked me if I did want to go to therapy, Hmm. my mom asked me, like, have I thought about praying or have I thought about doing that kind of thing? Hmm. And, you know, I just personally, like, for me, that isn't my thing. But obviously it's hers or obviously it's other people's. And who am I to say that that's wrong to do? It's not. And, you know, at the very beginning, I feel like she was trying to she was trying to give me advice, like trying to help me feel better. But in reality, like you said, praying, hoping it goes away, just doesn't just doesn't work out like that unless you really speak on it. And you really, like you said, externalize it and make it real or make it known, then I feel it's just going to be, like you said, a feedback on loop. Mm-hmm. Right. No, most definitely. It can definitely happen. And so that's why when I think about like the future and I think about uh, culture, because culture to me is always very important to consider. Because what we experience when we grow up in the families that we grow up in it largely is going to shape our reality, right? What you experience, no matter how bad or great it was, it is normal. Everybody's normal is very subjective. Normal is not really an objective thing that you can measure when it comes to lived experiences. Mm -hmm. And so then when you think about culture, I always like to consider how that impacts how one sees themselves and how one sees the world in, in in a bigger picture. Yeah. So I want to ask you, Mm-hmm. While speaking on that topic, do you think that you have had any type of cultural lens that has shaped the way that you see things in your day-to-day life? And if so, how do you think it's impacted you? There are, I want to say, like, 
couple instances where I've kind of shifted my view on certain things and just regular everyday life, starting from me going to therapy, like my, I don't know exactly how, cause we kept it from my grandmother because she's like Cuban, Cuban, hardcore Cuban. Mm. And, you know, it was, I don't know if I, if she would be against it or if she would have been uh, for it, but that was just something that we kept it away from her. My parents said, or my dad said, let's not tell her either. She would be too worried or she would think, like you said, there was something wrong with me mm. when in reality, you can't measure up what's the correct amount of wrong because everyone has their own, how do you say, like feelings and how worse things are for them. Because for mm -hmm. example, you can't compare tragedies or you can't compare um, like mental states. If something, if you're not feeling great mentally, then you're not feeling great mentally. That's just right. something that you can't compare and you can't say, oh, well, I have it worse than you. No, I have it worse than you. That kind of right. thing. So, and you know, there's, I feel, cause where I live, it's very heavily um, Latinx area, a lot of mm -hmm. Latins and Latinas. And I do feel that there is this, there's still this machismo thing that I see a lot. And there's a lot of the woman doing everything for the husband. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, my, both of my parents grew up in New York. They both learned you know, how to navigate through life living up there when in reality, the people around me have lived a very, very different life. Watch their parents grow up in like, watch their parents live a specific life, mm -hmm. which in turn led them to live the life that they're living now. Like you said, learning through observation. Right. And I feel that it's something that I see a lot and there's some, and it's a lot that I feel that needs to be changed in the stigma around certain aspects um living around my area and i just feel that you know there's a, there's going to be a new generation of people living here where i feel it'll be a lot more open and a lot more accepted for people to just be themselves because i feel there's a lot of holding back whenever i walk around or whenever i go to work whenever i go to work no, that's a, that's and that's a very fair point. I want to I want to go a little deeper if we can. Is there anything when you talk about in your immediate environment and having that culture essentially around you very prevalently? Are there certain issues in particular that you notice that are more challenging to navigate or deal with? Um, I do want to say that there is a lot more because hmm, I haven't really dug too deep like i only know so much like living here and i only know so much from where i'm immediately mm -hmm. at to different places but sure you know i feel that there's a lot of like i said before there's definitely a lot of women still doing a lot of the things that you know she can only handle so much where basically you know the, the wife with the kids always never mm -hmm. the other way around mm -hmm. um for example, at my job, I constantly see a lot of women with their two kids, their one kid. And, you know, just even living around here, I see a lot of um, I see a lot of people around here with the grandparents or the mother, uh, spe specifically with the grandparents, the grandmother. Mm -hmm. and, you know, just certain things like that where I feel 
the male isn't as present, the, you know, just the one that sits in the, in the rocking chair in the living room, that kind gotcha. of thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. We're going to go with that because, you know, that's, that's my bread and butter. Mm-hmm. So if I understood what you just said correctly, so talking about the men sort of being there uh, physically, but not really engaged in particular. Yeah, as like as an example, I was at the I was at the dentist uh like when was it last week? And there was this little kid in the stroller on his phone, on the phone, which I feel is a terrible idea giving a kid a phone. Like they're gonna become addicted to technology way too early. <laughs> and just the dad sitting in the chair while the mother is getting her teeth done. And I was texting my dad because he was sitting right next to me telling him how the phone is driving me crazy or whatever. And my dad, like, basically called the da- the other father a do-nothing dad. They just sit there. They just, they give something to the kid. They don't even talk to the kid. He's the, the dad was on his phone doing his own thing. And the kid was sitting there absorbed in technology, which I feel is just not healthy. Okay. Now, I can definitely get with that. I mean, I talk a lot about, especially with fathers, um, trying to challenge the status quo, if you will, for what it means to be a dad. And then also even further, what it means to be a man. And so I think there's going to be moments because of the way things have been for a really long time where we may not feel as encouraged, if you will, to be more involved, to really just sort of stay in that lane of, well, I provided. So I guess, you know, I did what I needed to do. And I think that there's, of course, a lot more that we can bring to the table. There's a lot more that we can offer, but perhaps it's going to require more of an expanded view of what men truly are and what we can offer and not being pigeonholed, as I would call it, into just being providers, just being structured individuals, just providing discipline or consequences. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot more. There's the whole spectrum of emotion that we tend to not be allowed, in my opinion, to express. Mm-hmm. And I think that that does a huge disservice to the children, to our women, to anybody else that we deal with. It's just, mm-hmm. it, it's just there's a lot more to be desired. Yeah. And to me, like that example you gave is a perfect example of why if we maintain things as they are, then we shouldn't really expect things to change. Mm-hmm. We should expect more or less the same. But I right. think that we we can do more and we can be better, but it is going to require conversations like this and yes. recognizing, hey, yes, you do a lot, but maybe, you know, we would appreciate this aspect of you as well. Like for you to be willing to open up about some of the things that you have struggled with or some of the things that you're proud of or some of the things that you would do differently so that I and we can learn perhaps from you, from, mm-hmm. from some of these very experiences that you have lived. Yeah, you know, so it's just one of those points that I know will take a really, really long time to see any significant change or traction on. But I believe that we have to really keep driving that idea forward because I don't want men to continue to think that that's all that they are worth. And I really really mean it just like that. And Mm -hmm. I also want to challenge our women to encourage, empower and provide that space. Yes. For us to be vulnerable, yeah. right? to be available for us in those ways and to know that we're very much new into this journey and it's going to take us time and it may be frustrating, but 
the more you're willing to do that, the better you're going to benefit us. And then for those of us that have or desire to have children, the better off those kids are going to be because they don't have to deal with the level of challenge that we have. Right. Right. We set a better tone and they just kind of know that that's the way it's supposed to be. And then they just follow suit as such. Yeah. To kind of expand on that, I feel that a lot of the behaviors that we sometimes see and sometimes we don't see definitely come from the parent. So, for example, my dad's dad, my grandfather, he wasn't the most very loving parent, according to my dad. He was very, like you said, the typical, the standard dad provides strict discipline. Mm -hmm. However, my grandmother, his mother, very loving, very compassionate, very all of the elements that you want from your mom. Right. And I feel that my dad, knowing that he was going to have me, had to make a decision do what he observed or do what or do the complete opposite so he so i don't feel the same that he did when he was younger mm -hmm. and i feel that that's such an important thing because will it continue the cycle or will yeah. it start a brand new healthier one yes absolutely i i couldn't agree more that to me is the that's the crux of the issue. Not that it's all on the parents, but a, a lot of it, I would say at least 80% or more is really going to rest on what we decide to do. If we have the foresight to know that we want to have children in the future, then we need to be willing to make sure that we are well-adjusted and grounded enough so we can raise them to also be well-adjusted and grounded. But if we know that there's some stuff that we haven't dealt with, then you better believe that stuff's going to get passed on to them, right? Because we haven't worked through any of those issues. So it's important to your point that we put in the effort and that the parents, to me, we really have to look in the mirror, be honest. Yes. And if we recognize there's some things that we're deficient in, it's okay to have deficiencies or things that you need to improve upon. That's totally fine. But be okay to actually go deal with it. Mm -hmm. Don't sweep it under the rug and say like, oh, well, you know, hopefully it'll just get better on its own or it's not really going to impact my ability to parent my child. No, it will. Yes. It does already now. Mm -hmm. And because, and I'm saying that from what I have to work with and what I see, and I just believe that a lot of those things, not all, but many of those things are preventable. Yes. So instead of us going from a reactionary approach, let's be a little more proactive so we can preserve our peace and our families, hopefully down the road. Yeah. And I'm now, grateful to say okay. that, sorry. <laughs> and I'm grateful to say that my dad definitely didn't follow in those footsteps. I have a very loving father. Um, great relationship with my dad and great relationship with my mom. I do feel that me and my dad have grown closer over the past two, three, four years mm -hmm. compared to when I was in middle school, beginning of high school. Um, you know, and I'm grateful for it. He's great. And I'm grateful to have him the way that he is, because I know that there are some girls my age that have a tougher time with their dad. Very true very possible. And I think a lot of that comes down to, again, you know, we are not necessarily raised to be available. So whether it's our sons or our daughters, it's very difficult to know how to be there in, in that capacity. Like not necessarily like in a trying to provide a solution, but in a I'm here to listen. I'm here to observe. I'm here to give you feedback. I'm here to make sure you know you have a safe space to just share. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily get raised to do those things. So yeah. I usually I usually liken it to thinking of us or imagining us as infants. We're very much early on in our journey as men. 
And I think that there is opportunities for us to, of course, improve and be better, but understanding where we are is important. We're very much in the beginning and it's going to take some time before we see some significant change. Mm -hmm. But I want to continue with this thought that you're talking about because you were mentioning the way your relationships are with your mom and your dad. Mm -hmm. I'm curious now. Mm -hmm. Do you think, do you think or suppose that your relationships with them have impacted your ability to form secure relationships with other people? Oh, absolutely. Zero doubt in my mind, because when I say I have the most chill parents on earth, I really mean it. They are like the best. I have my friends come over and they say, your parents are great. They're awesome. And that's something that I feel very, very happy with having because, like I said, I'm grateful. There are some parents who are stuck up. There are some parents who don't let <laughs> their own child um, be who they are. Don't even let yeah. them out of the house. Don't even let them hang out with their friends. Like, you yeah. know, it's almost everything to them, like, is just so, everything with them is just so easy and everything with them is just so, well, not all the time. Every, some things are difficult sometimes, <laughs> sure. but, you know, not everyone's perfect, but you know, they, I want to say like, they have really helped me with building like personality and building who I am as a person. They've, mm. they have definitely like, we got my dad this um, kind of like painting ish that is basically like, he is the lighthouse, like guiding us. And so is my mom. Yeah. They have both taught me and my brother things that will help me in life and will help me like build relationships with people. Hey, you shouldn't say this. Hey, maybe you should say that instead of saying this. It's a lot how I feel I have become and grown into my own, like just the mm -hmm. way that they talk to us on the regular and on the daily. Like I feel just being comfortable with the way that we communicating with the way that we communicate with one another helped me build great relationships with my friends and people that I have met over the course of my life. Okay. Now, and I, and I like the way that you phrase that the lighthouse. I think it's a beautiful way to, illustrate what I would hope anybody, actually any child would say for a parent. Because again, it, it's it's more of a guide, right? Yeah. It's not a, and of course we all grew up differently, but I like the way I heard it when I grew up was like, I lived in a d dictatorship. My I did what I was told and I wasn't allowed to really say anything back about it. But I also recognize that that's not particularly healthy because when I'm trying to form relationships with other men and other women, it, it would cause me to have what we would call a very egocentric point of view. Everything is from my viewpoint, meaning you should adopt the way that I see things. I don't really need to care about what Marissa thinks. And that's not helpful in any type of relationship, whether it's friendship, platonic, romantic, what have you. It's not helpful because to have any type of relationship, you got to consider how the other person feels, even if you think that they're wrong or even mm. if you just disagree. Right. right. You have to still consider how they feel. Why? Because you said that they're somebody that matters to you. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they you wouldn't try to maintain a relationship with them of any kind. So right. I think it's important to understand there is a direct correlation to if I have. Let's try to explain this in a couple of different ways. If I have a poor relationship, I'm you. So I'm a young woman. Mm -hmm. I have a poor relationship with my father. You can expect to a certain degree that 
I will have complicated relationships. If I'm heterosexual, I have complicated relationships with men Hmm. because from a biological standpoint and an environmental standpoint, the first secure attachment you're supposed to be able to create if you're a young lady and you're trying to, you know, for your future to want to maybe get married, have children is with your father. Mm-hmm. He's usually what we would consider the first love of your life, the opposite gender yes. parent, right? Yes. He's the person you would ascribe to have a man embody in your eyes. And then usually the same gender parent, mom in this case, if I'm you, would be the person that maybe I would uh, uh, subscribe and ascribe to be like, not 100% her, but attributes of her. Mm-hmm. I would want to embody to attract the type of person like my father. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. If, if I'm a young man, if it was me, same thing. I would want to have a great relationship with my mother so I can know that I can form a good relationship with a woman that I would feel comfortable enough to even want to marry one day. Yes. And then if I'm growing up and I have my father around, there's aspects of how he embodies being a man and what that means that I would want to also learn to embody. Because I know that that would help me attract the type of woman like my mother would find desirable. So what we talk about after that is, so what happens when you remove one or both pieces? Mm. How can that play a role? Mm. And I usually say for me, you know, my mom, you know, passed away when I was young. So it wasn't like she chose not to be there, but there's certain voids that can get created. And then I have to do my part. My family has to do their part, not to fill it necessarily, because you can't like swap people out like that, but to do your best you can to make sure that they're getting that level of connection and love and and compassion. Mm -hmm. And same thing for if you're missing your father. So I know for you, it's a little different because you don't, you didn't have to worry about that, which is great. But going back to, to the point we were just talking about, we acknowledge that you having good relationships with both of them has helped you form better relationships with other people because you've seen a healthier dynamic between your mom and your dad. Do you think from a standpoint of shifting to a romantic relationship, do you think that seeing both your mom and your dad in the same house and their dynamic and how they get along with each other, has that helped impact the way that you see yourself dating somebody? Absolutely. I, you know, there are good attributes and bad attributes that, you know, one sees in the other. It's, you know, it's normal. It's a human thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are some things that I see in my dad that I'm like, oh, that would be great if my future husband would have those traits. And then there are some traits that I don't necessarily like about my dad, but those are the ones that I either have to watch out for or just mm-hmm. avoid completely. Right. So definitely for sure and you know some attributes that i see in my mom too you know when to act a certain way and when not to you know it's like it it has definitely like just watching sometimes they're bantering sometimes just watching them banter and seeing what they argue about i don't really call it arguing but you know what i mean sure i would i definitely wouldn't have or want to do something like that or there are some things that i feel that i know that should be paid more attention to than certain things. Okay. Okay. Let me, uh, let me try to keep, keep going with that thought. Now, do you Mm -hmm. think that with your mom, when you said there's certain things you don't want to embody and obviously certain things that you do, Mm -hmm. do you think that 
if you, let's say for an hypothetical that you found somebody that you were romantically interested in, do you think that you have the type of relationship with her that you would seek her counsel to understand whether this person is valuable enough to you or of a good value, let's say, that you would want to invest significant time in? Or do you think that you would still relatively deal with it on your own and not really involve her as much in the process? I feel there are certain things that should obviously, like in your eyes, would be better to keep to yourself. But mm -hmm. I do want to say that I definitely do and would go to her for guidance or, you know, advice in that sort of world of dating or, you know, seeing if I'm interested in this guy or whatever. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel, because it's happened before, asking her for advice and mm -hmm. seeing what she thinks about certain guys, seeing what she thinks and what I've told her and what if, and what things that I've experienced right. with this person or what things that I've experienced with like, let's say, for example, like, I don't want to mention any names on here, but, you know, totally. I, you know, you know, there, of course, like I've had conversations with my mom asking her what she thinks, yeah. what should I do? Should I move on? Should I see where this goes? That kind of thing. So that's definitely not out of the ballpark. I definitely do feel that I would come to her for advice 100 percent. But okay. like I said before, there are only there's only so much. I can tell, not that I'm a bad girl or anything, but there's only so much that I do feel that I should keep to myself, mm -hmm. but definitely not all. Okay. No, and I think that's totally fair. I only ask because uh, I was having this conversation actually with um, an old colleague of mine, and I told him why I think it's so amazing, not in a positive way, that when we're parents, we we have this lack of transparency where we don't share a lot of our shortcomings or failures or things that you know that didn't go necessarily the way we wanted with our children so that they can have the benefit of maybe avoiding those choices and i find it the reason why i say i find it amazing is because to me that's the basic premise of what parents are here to do we're not only trying to raise a young person but you're also trying to understand that you don't want that person to go through unnecessary hardship there are certain things that are going to happen and there is no protecting them from that. Right. But unnecessary. How do I, how do I help something become unnecessary? I have to share. Yep. So you learn from the benefit of my experience. And then hopefully, in my opinion, hopefully that creates a, a dynamic in a, in a relationship where even if you might be embarrassed, even if you might feel ashamed, that we've built the kind of relationship that you'd still come to me, you'd still talk to me. Mm -hmm. Because you know that even if you can put your head down and, and talk about it the whole time, you know, I'm still going to be there for you. You know, I'm not going to make you feel bad about it. I just want you to deserve and have the best mm -hmm. and making sure that, you know, that you're taking good care of yourself. But that is predicated on us developing that type of relationship very, when, when we're very young. But a lot of us don't come from backgrounds where we do that. So I am glad that you said you would share more with your mother and ask for her feedback. I think that's awesome. I wish we would all do that to a certain degree. Not that you have to run everything by them necessarily, but just saying that, listen, you've been alive a bit longer than me. You had a lot more experiences than me. I'm sure you've had some wisdom. Why would I not want to take that from you? 
Some right. of it may apply, some of it may not. But it's better to have that experience and have the ability to hear that from that person that cares about you mm -hmm. than to just do everything for the first time on your own because you might be making same mistakes that your parents did. You get what I mean? Yeah, about like having that frame of reference to where you could ask them and see how they dealt with certain situations or yeah. what what to do when a guy asked you if they want to hang out with you, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's there's this and like what you were saying before about being there for their child, no matter what. There was this book that my mom bought at um, Cracker Barrel, uh, funny enough. <laughs> it's, it's named my daughter loves you or something like that. I, I'm looking at it right here at my bookshelf. Okay. And the, I think it was for my 14th birthday or 13th, not sure. But my mom wrote in the book, happy birthday. Never forget that I am always here for you always. And if that's something that I can really value, it's that. And same thing with my dad. Um, there was this point in time where when I told my parents again, that I wanted to go to therapy two years ago, mm. There was something that my dad said that I still think about to this day where we were laying down watching a movie together and he can tell that I was feeling a bit anxious at that moment. And he basically said, like, you know, if you ever want to kill anyone, I'll get you the knife. <laughs> you know, something, you know, I mean, but yes. like, you know, basically saying like that he's always here and he's always there to help. And same thing. Right. With right. He was being sarcastic, but just saying, I got your back. Right. Of course. No, of course. And I, and I, and I like that when you have that level of relationship with a, a loved one, I think that's so powerful and truly invaluable because I think sometimes we, when we're young, we just think that we're having these unique experiences that nobody could possibly understand. And the truth is in a lot of cases, we may have been there already. But you don't know that you have no point of reference because if we don't talk about it, then there's nothing that's going to prompt you to be like, hey, dad or hey, mom. I remember you mentioned like when you were my age, you had gone through blah, blah, blah. And I think I'm going through the same thing. Like, is there anything you could tell me that maybe help me deal with this better? Because I'm having a hard time right now. Mm -hmm. But if we don't have those types of conversations normally, then it's not, I'm not just going to like prompt that conversation. You know, it's usually going to be like the parent probably trying to look and see like something seems a little bit off about you. Are you sure you're fine? And it, the whole point of me really drilling this idea down is just to say, I'm trying to encourage those of us that are parents to really put in the effort and make the time to be available for the kids because they really need us. And that's how you help prevent a lot of the generational traumas that tend to be perpetuated, particularly in certain cultural communities. Mm -hmm. We want to stop that. Mm -hmm. But the only way to do that is we have to, you know, again, look in the mirror and really do that work on ourselves. I believe that transparency is a huge, huge aspect that is missing in a lot of relationships when it comes to parent to child. And if we were willing and open to actually sharing a lot of that stuff, no matter how embarrassing it may seem, your kid's going to benefit. Even if they don't take exactly what you did and they might choose to do some of it, it's still going to be significantly less than if they had not heard anything that you said and just made all of the same mistakes. I think it's just, to me, the point is that it's preventable. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't like that we have situations where people go through these experiences. We could have kind of told them information that would have helped them avoid or alleviate some of that pain. And then the net effect of it is they might have this negative attitude towards life now. They may become generally apathetic towards life. They may become cynical about life. They may lose inspiration and hope about life. Mm-hmm. And that truly troubles me because it, it, it doesn't have to be that way. No. Yeah. So it's it's just one of those things where I, I'm trying to continuously challenge us to be better in that regard. But again, I'm very glad that you have a better relationship with your parents where you're saying you would talk to them about a lot of that. That to me would be the gold standard. I hope that we all can get to that point where everybody would be saying that for the most part. Like if that's something that I'm gonna preface a lot in this talk is that I'm very grateful to have this kind of family because there are many people that don't and I'm just really grateful and I want people to know that. (laughs) No, that's good, that's good. Now let's continue with this talk that we've been having about how parents not only represent how healthy relationships could look like, but also how they can impact the type of romantic relationships that we deal with. So I want to ask you, getting into some of the the details now, how do you see or how do you view some of the romantic relationships or relationship you may have had in the past? Oddly enough, I've never had, like I've never had a romantic relationship in my life. (laughs) So nothing significant? nothing significant wow. okay i am okay. 20 years old and i haven't had anything at all worth mentioning okay okay we'll, we'll start there then mm-hmm. why do you think that that is i think that is it's because i know when things are i don't know if i'm allowed to curse but i know when things are bs uh, you can if you want to i know when things. i'll be polite i know when things are bs and i know when someone is looking for something else okay And I do want to say that I feel in the past couple of years, I haven't been like talking or there had like in the past couple of years, I feel more men have been starting to take notice of me than Mm -hmm. I did in high school. Okay. I feel in high school, I was just on the cusp of starting to express my femininity more. Okay. Because ever since I left high school, I definitely feel that I've come into this place of myself where I feel comfortable enough to dress a bit more cute, paint my nails, put my hair down a bit more often, that kind of thing. High school, I did not care. (laughs) That's something that I should say. Like high school, I could not care less. And And I would sit there and wonder, I wonder why guys don't like me. Well, you're not making yourself look like you want a guy to approach you. That's something that I've had to come to terms and accept with myself. But, you know, I feel that that's probably the main reason why. And that's why for the past couple of years, guys have started to, you know, I've caught their eye, I guess. No, and I I really appreciate you saying that. I think that, um, you know, there's no one way how one starts the dating field, right? Some of us start younger, some of us start a little older. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, right? You're only 20, it's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why I ask, and, and I was a little surprised that you said that, because you know, to me, you're a beautiful young lady. Like I would think you might've gotten started already, but, <laughs> but what I also think is important is that you 
were willing to reflect on yourself and realize, hey, there's some things that maybe I wasn't doing that I maybe could be doing mm -hmm. to attract the type of people that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And I also think that that's important, like being intentional, as I often say, about the things that we want. Mm -hmm. So if I want to attract a partner who wants to be interested in me and potentially have a relationship with me and who knows what may come from there, I need to be thinking, well, what does that person want? What do they want to see? What do they need from me? What am I willing to offer? And then obviously vice versa, you know, like that goes both ways. So if you recognize that, hey, I wasn't necessarily putting myself in the most intentional category where I'm trying to attract somebody right now, mm -hmm. and now I recognize that and I'm making that change, and that is beautiful. Because yeah. it means you're willing to make the adjustments, right? You're not just sitting there sort of arms crossed saying, well, why don't you want to talk to me? Well, why don't you want to approach me? Am I not seeming like I want to be engaged with? Mm -hmm. Maybe not. But yeah. you recognize that and you're making those adjustments. So yeah. has, has there been anything else you've done in addition to that? Or is that the main thing you think that you had to change? I feel like that's what it really was. Because back then in high school, I really didn't care enough to do the things that I do now and making myself feel and look pretty especially feel because that's always more important than how you look. Um, but you know, I, if that's like something that I've analyzed myself, then that's definitely it because high school, I could not care less. I wasn't the type to lust first. That's mm -hmm. another thing too, because that's mainly how, you know, things in high school happen. You sure. find them really attractive, but then their personality is garbage, that kind of right. thing. And I was never the one to fall for that. I feel. Not that it's wrong, but I wasn't the type to sure. fall for that kind of thing. And I feel that I am mature in that way, even though I've never had any kind of experience in that regard. But mm -hmm. I feel like that was the main thing that it really was because, like I said, I never painted my nails. I never like wore bracelets or rings or anything like that. Always had my hair up. And I feel also that the reason why I didn't, it came so late was because I was dealing with my own mental health in another mm -hmm. regard, because it, that was the main thing that was on my brain all day for mm -hmm. some years and for a couple months in between where put my, cause our school had uniforms, our high school, putting okay. on hair up, just go through the day. I don't care. Like that's how it usually was for me. And then, you know, even in that gap in between where mentally I was doing really well, didn't really care enough to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, that's what I feel was the main thing for me. That's the reason why dating is happening. So or is going to happen a bit later for me than other people, which like you said, it's fine. It happens. Mm -hmm. It's not everyone's, not everyone meets the love of their life at 16. It's okay. No, it's totally and, fine. <laughs> and, um, just, I feel, because I was visiting a friend from my high school that I hadn't seen since the pandemic happened. And she said herself that I have like this glow about me now that I didn't have in high school. Because mm. I feel a lot more comfortable in my own skin and expressing my femininity. No, and that I think that that's very important. Um, we A lot of ways can take that conversation. But I think being, you know, comfortable in your skin is very important. I think being able to, if you identify with the gender that you have and being willing to express yourself, I think that that's also very important. So when we talk about gender roles, 
to me, you know, there's certain elements of being traditional that I agree with as a man. There's certain aspects that I push back against. Just to reiterate, being a provider, I'm fine with. Being a disciplinarian, being able to provide structure and order, I'm fine with. But being only that, not being emotionally available, I disagree with. That's part of being a traditional man. I don't agree with that part. Mm -hmm. So I, I would expand the way that we see things. So I would say for me, I would seek out women that also want that from a partner. Now, what's also interesting and what's a little different now, and I also acknowledge that too, is there may be women that may challenge the, the norms of how a man may typically behave. So there may be, for example, a woman that's going to be, want to be the dominant provider which is going to be very difficult for a lot of men because that's usually the role that we find ourselves in. So it may be it may be hard to be able to find a way to make that mesh and make that work for those two people if you have uh, somebody who that's what they you know what they want for their future. But I think that also goes back to in my experience, a lot of that goes back to what you see. If I talk to somebody who comes from a background like yours who sees a man and a woman together and the man's the provider and the woman was at home and she was raising her children. It doesn't mean that she says, that's all I want for myself, but she also sees the value of doing that. And she also sees the value of seeing her father do that. So she's okay with allowing a man to a certain degree to do that. Mm -hmm. But when you don't have that aspect, now there might be more pushback. You might not let that man sort of take that lead in that regard. And I think that that causes a lot of tension because, mm -hmm. you know, most men, that's usually how we're raised, regardless of culture, that we are meant to provide for our core family and sometimes our extended family as well. Uh, and that our women, not that they should not work, but it shouldn't be maybe the primary concern. It can be a supplementary thing, but really we want them to have our children and make sure our family unit is, is tight and intact. I'm curious because you can, you come from that balanced background where you got to see a good example. Mm -hmm. How do you think that you envision yourself dating in the future? And do you think marriage is in the cards? I definitely do see myself getting married and having like a family. Like that's something that I have been thinking a lot more of now that I've been getting older. I definitely envision that. And like you said, there are some things in the traditional role with families that I feel should stick and some shouldn't. For example, like what you said about being the provider, I obviously that's fantastic. If I if I could be the person to take care of the kids, whether it be me or him, I don't mind as long as they're like you said, it, it's all about having the stable household and stable like ground for your child to grow up in because, mm -hmm. you know, it's it creates this cycle an endless right. cycle. And if you don't stop it, then it's just going to keep going and the whole world will be unhealthy by the end of it. Oh, so, yeah. you know, it's it's something that I feel I definitely do see myself doing and to kind of what you were saying about, you know, how the person that's providing how it shouldn't be like such a um like it like let's say for example the woman wants to work or she still wants to stay home and take care of the kids. Mm -hmm. That's a a very supplementary thing and I feel that there's a bit of tension with that here um, in my home with that kind of thing, because now that me and my brother are all grown up, we don't necessarily need to have her home 24 seven. Right, right. I feel that. And dad, if you're listening, I'm going to say it. 
I feel that my dad kind of doesn't like the fact that he is the one that has to provide so much right now in this stage of life, mainly because when my parents moved down here to raise us, because raising children in New York is very, very difficult. I applaud those who do it. Mm. It left my mother lonely. She doesn't, she moved to a different state where she doesn't have friends Mm. and men being the problem solvers that they are, think they could just provide a solution. Boom. You'll be happy. That's not necessarily how it works. My mom has her friends, some here living in our neighborhood and some that still live in New York. And my mom just feels like very lonely sometimes, Mm -hmm. which I can understand because you're in a whole different environment. Yeah. It's a whole, whole ball field. And my dad being the problem solver that he is says, oh, well, why don't you just get a job? You can meet people there. Mm-hmm. You, could, you could build relationships with people, which necessarily he's not wrong. My, right. my mom has attempted to get jobs in the past, take up, you know, make herself a little money on the side, whatever. But, you know, it's come to the point where my dad makes it a point to mention the money that my mom spends that's really his sort of thing. Mm, okay, okay. That I can see how that can become troubling too, because if you're thinking about, let me try to make a distinction here. When I think about the roles, right, of a, if a mom stays home or a woman stays home to primarily parent, leaning into that role, and the man, he's typically running into providing and provisioning for the household. I look at those as equally necessary. Now it's difficult because it can say, one person can say, oh, well, but I'm physically bringing in a paycheck. So I'm actually allowing money to come into this household to pay for the things that we need to pay for. So therefore it may at times feel like it is mine. What I would say, this is just my opinion, is that, yeah, but if I have the family that I want, which is my wife and what she's helping provide the stability for the family, making sure the kids are getting what they need, she's vital in that scenario. And so, yes, she may not have the tangible money that like she's getting a direct deposit hitting her account, but she's saving us money. Number one, because we're not paying for childcare. Um, Especially if she's cooking, then we're not paying for like eating out all the time. And the peace of mind, knowing that they're in a safe environment. That's that last one. You can't really quantify. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's really important to acknowledge and really I would say not pedestalize, but really make sure it's clear that in the in that particular scenario, we need the woman who want to do that. And I want them to feel empowered and important because they truly are. Mm-hmm. It's fundamental if we're going to make that type of relationship function healthily. Mm-hmm. Now, some I think some men, you know, it might be different. They may have different circumstances where I've, you know, I've known stories where a man may be much more established before he meets. The, the woman and then they get married and he's like, hey, this is my money because I had all this before you got here. So it, there might be a bit different now. I still would say if you're married, you know, we still need to consider like what we both bring to the table. Hopefully mm-hmm. you're not just unless if that's the case, you know, we're not necessarily advocating for trophy wives or sugar daddies type deal. Because mm-hmm. um, then, you know, that to me is what that would be. 
-hmm. But we're talking about, you know, an actual relationship where you have a primary function, I have a primary function. And to me, that means that we're not going to diminish or devalue each other and what we bring to the table. Like it's very important that we both recognize what is necessary to have this family unit as a whole function well. So it's, you know, it's difficult to say, obviously that can be a very nuanced situation where somebody might feel that way, but to go back to the point of what you were saying about your mom. And I know I talked about this on a previous episode about roles and the hats that we wear. Yep. When I, when you described your mom saying like, okay, she feels a bit lonely and your dad was suggesting she go get a job. I think that that's fair in terms of maybe helping for, to foster social connections. No. Yeah. W- with people to a certain degree, mm-hmm. but that's only one way to maybe deal with it. The bigger thing I would hear is saying, listen, like if I was there, right. Sitting, sitting her down, it sounds more like you're not getting your needs met as the individual independent woman that you are perhaps, perhaps, you are over identifying with the motherly role. Now that your children are of age, not that they don't need you at all, but they don't need you as much. You're seeing sort of your validation or your value decrease because you are over identifying with being a mom. And if I don't counterbalance that with what I do for myself as a woman, then I'm going to feel deficient. Mm -hmm. I might feel sad. I might feel depressed. That's like those expressions, empty nesters. Not that, you know, you guys are still there, but the point is that's when people start usually feeling like that. So how do you combat that if that's the case? And I'm not saying it is. Mm-hmm. You have to satisfy those aspects of yourself. You have to have your own friendships and relationships outside of your primary relationship with your spouse, mm-hmm. right? Because that helps you maintain you. He would do the same. Right. Then we have us together. Then we have the relationship with the family overall. But it sounds like she might have been missing that part, which is why it might be difficult for her to be particularly excited that you two are older and you and your brother are older and don't need her as much. Yeah. You know, like that whole thing about um, like, I feel like it's two sides of the coin, really. Like, you know, my dad is suggesting hey, maybe get a job, build relationships with people. Yes, that is valid. And then there's the other side of the coin where there's a little bit of resentment where he has to get up to go to work every day and she gets to stay home. But that's necessar- That's not necessarily how it goes. Right. She's at home taking care of the house, not, not just us, but of the house. Right. Which is something that I feel is very overlooked in many families where my mom cleans the bathroom, she cleans the kitchen, she makes sure the laundry is all done. Mm-hmm. And if let's say, for example, my mom went to work too, we would have to be the ones to do it. But it's like, we have our own things going on in our life too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not to say that she doesn't, like I said, she has her friends here, some friends here, but she will always say that she will never have the friends that she had in New York, which is sad to hear as her child and mm. you know to hear that she's lonely sometimes no child likes to hear that their mom is sad or any regard no, of course not so you know it's like she's only doing so much that she can with what she has yeah. because you know the whole environment in new york and miami is so different here you travel by car new york you travel on the subway the bus with people around you walking mm-hmm And my mom can make a friend with a snap of a finger. She can talk to someone sitting next to her, make friends, make talk. 
and there she goes. She has a friend that she's going to hang out with next week for lunch, that kind of thing. So, you know, it's like two sides of the coin, like I was saying, and she can only do, like I said, so much with what she has here. No, absolutely. And I think it's important. I appreciate you for sharing that perspective from what you see observing your mom. I think it's important. And that's why I tried to make the point about, you know, if you're a mother out there or a father out there and you don't make sure that you address those particular issues for yourself, you as the individual, you still exist as an independent person outside of your role or responsibility as a mother or father. And then you also exist outside of your relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. You still exist as an individual. So it's very important that you take the time to make sure that you maintain what's necessary to keep that part of you fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you run the risk that you're shifting a lot of that level of fulfillment in other areas that are not really dependent on you. So if I'm, you know, if I shift it on me being a parent, well, that's predicated on the fact that my child's around a lot. So what do I do when they're not? I'm not in control of that. What happens when they're an adult and they move away for college or they move away because they got married? So now what do I do? I'm not in control of that. Right. But if I'm thinking about me as an individual, right, I'm in control of how I feel and what I do to help influence the way that I feel. So if I know I'm not feeling fulfilled, guess what I can do? I can go engage in activities and hobbies and interests that make me feel fulfilled. Right. But that only works if I remember that I must address that part of me mm-hmm. always. It never goes away. Right. Because before you were a spouse or a romantic partner, before you were a mother or father, you were just you. Yes. Just you. Mm-hmm. You spent your whole life just being yourself. Yeah. So that can't take a back seat just because you're in a relationship mm-hmm. or just because you are a parent now. It requires you to satisfy all aspects of who you are in the totality. Yeah. And she said it so herself, you know, like, you know, she, she's completely aware of that whole hierarchy and it's it's important. See, she's, she talked to me about it before. And if that's something that I value in my mom's relationship is that I could be a, um, an outlet for her. Mm. which I find really, really great. And I feel that it can happen a lot with most families where the parent opens up to you about personal problems that they might be having because, you know, it's like, oh, you know, we're the parent. We got to keep it like a straight face, but you know, that's yeah. not how it works. <laughs> we're poker face all the time. Right. No, like man. that's, that's not how it works. They, they go through their own struggles. Um, we do. More so my mom than my dad. No, it's, it's, it's true. And I think that, you know, to your point, like I said, and I'll, I'll reiterate this point looking this way, the hierarchy, because I know you've heard me talk about it, but I'll just reiterate it just for those that maybe haven't heard it. So to me, uh, and it, it, this is primarily if you have a, a child or not, but number one is always going to be you, you as the individual. Then it goes, if you're in a relationship or if you're married, the partner, you and the partner. Because if you're not well, then your relationship's not going to be well. And then goes your children. The children can't be well if the relationship's not well, because that's the foundation to the family. Mm-hmm. So it has to be in that order. If not, you sacrifice the likelihood and the livelihood of all parties involved. 
because they're not going to be able to get the complete picture of who you are as a person because you're dissatisfied in one area. So now you're shifting it all into one area. It's kind of like if you're coping, if you use one way to cope, I usually use this example because this happens a lot, for example, in substance abuse. So let's say I'm not saying you do this, but let me just roll with me for the sake of example. Mm -hmm. Let's say that you smoke a lot of marijuana and I'm your therapist and I say, hey, Marissa, you know, you really can't be doing that. That's not helping you achieve the goals and the outcomes that you want for yourself. So we need to come up with some other alternatives to help you to better manage your stress so that we can move away from utilizing marijuana as a primary coping mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. What do some people do? They might start drinking a lot. Mm. Why? Because they're sort of shifting that need, that desire, that ability to manage my emotions to another unhealthy way, right? That could be very similar to me saying back over here, I'm an individual, I have my own needs as a person, but I'm going to shift them over into saying, well, I'm going to really focus on being a good parent because that is the most important. That is the reason for my existence is being a good mom and dad. It's important. Don't get me wrong. It is vitally, vitally important, but it should not be our reason for existing. We should be the reason for existing. And those are just added layers and added benefits of having those type of relationships, being a mother, being a father, being a partner. But I gotta be happy with me. If I'm not happy with myself, then the rest of it really isn't gonna matter. There you go. Right? Yeah. So little PSA, let me get off my soapbox. Um, <laughs> back, to, back to you, back to you. So we were talking about how you have had your lack of experiences with dating, but then obviously you had a lot of good experiences witnessing how your mother and your father interact and that shaped a lot of the outlook that you have on dating so let me ask you then do mm -hmm. you think you have formulated or have a fairly good idea it might not be full and that's fine a fairly good idea of what would your expectations be of let's say your boyfriend or your husband um i mean at this point and in this society that's been formed around like hookup culture i mean the bare minimum really is like really what most me and my friends have been seeking, you know, like just the bare minimum, like respectful, kind, funny, um, you know, like just really like sure of himself, mm -hmm. um, has goals and has things that he wants to achieve in his life and maybe wants possibly wants the same things as I do. There we maybe, go. He's, maybe he's someone that I meet when i'm working and for those that don't know i love film film is something that i hope to work in in the future let's say i meet with somebody on a set that's already like common ground mm -hmm. that's something where you could build potentially a really great relationship with somebody so you know it's just at this point in in this stage of my life there's so many horror stories that i've heard from friends of mine with guys or girls they've gotten with where I've heard that it just wasn't healthy. It was very toxic things that the man was doing, things that the guy was doing, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And You know, at this point, it's like, you're funny, you're respectful, you're nice. That's like, honestly, what I could look for right now. Okay. 
No, and I, and to be fair to you, I think those are very reasonable things that you are asking for. I don't think there's anything that you said there that that was being unrealistic or possibly delusional. I think everything you said was well within your right to expect and hope for. What I always say is that making sure that we're working on ourselves so that we can expect the best because we're going to give the best. I'm a very big believer in that. You, we as individuals should not expect what we don't give. So if I want somebody to trust me, then I need to give trust. If I want somebody to be understanding and be warm so that I can be open with her, that I must do the same. Mm-hmm. And really holding myself accountable, holding myself to the standard. And right. that's not even just about dating. That's also even to me as parenting. Like if I want a good relationship with my child and I want to be them to be open with me, I should probably be open with them. But as it pertains to the relationship, it, it I will say it does sadden me a bit that, you know, some of those stories you've had to hear, not to say that they're not uh, realistic, because I believe they do happen. But to me, a lot of it boils down to just the lack of intentionality when we're out here dating. Instead of just sort of happenstance, meaning I run into somebody, we see what happens, and then we go from there. If we put out there our intention, which is why I asked you what your expectations would be, because a young man that might hear this or a person might hear this can understand what that person is looking for. Hopefully, we are articulating that to each other, and you can give what that person needs and what they desire and vice versa. That to me is the power of us leveraging our ability to communicate effectively with each other to get our needs met. Mm-hmm. If you don't share those things, you're hoping the other person is just going to read your mind somehow and figure it out, which none of us are mind readers. No matter how much experience we have, we only know what we know based on usually what we've lived, what we've experienced and what we've heard from other people. But that's not particularly helpful when you're trying to build a healthy relationship with somebody. You got to put out there what you need, see how the person responds. And if they consistently demonstrate that behavior that you're looking for, then that's typically a good sign that maybe we should continue forward. If they start that way, which can happen a lot in dating, and then it starts to fall to the wayside, well, then that's also giving you indications that maybe this is not somebody I should significantly invest my time into. Right. Because they're not really giving me and meeting me where where I'm trying to go. And that's fine. We're all on our own journey. But I'm trying to get, you know, this is back to you. I'm trying to get what I want. So making sure that I'm communicating that as clearly as I can, and then making sure that I'm also able and willing, very important, to provide it back in return. Right. Yeah. You know, if there's something that my mom has taught me um, from when I was a a young teen to now is that men or some men will treat you however you want at the beginning but once they get what they want they're out that can be true and it happens a lot for not for my friends that i've heard or like just from experience from my mom's world when she was younger Mm. and you know it's only so much that you know you could learn like once once you learn it once like it'll never happen again kind of thing but you know it's like passing on that wisdom my mom you know she told me when a guy's being nice to you make sure you're careful you know because it does happen and it can it it does yeah and you know if i'm able to like if i was able to like copy and paste myself like as a man like i would be set for life (laughs) that's what we all say 
But unfortunately, this is the challenge of, to me, it really just boils down to communication. Um, we don't, when you think about it, because we all have such a nuanced and very unique lived experience, right? I'm never going to know what you think or how mm -hmm. you feel ever. Mm -hmm. Even your parents don't know. We yeah. have ideas. We have ideas because we observe each other for a long time, right? But I don't actually know. The only person who can tell me how Marissa feels is Marissa, mm -hmm. always. So I can never presume or assume what she's going to say. Now, I may have been around her for a long time, and she might have told me certain things continuously. So I feel like this is what she would say. But I don't truly know until I allow her to express herself. I must present right. her with that question and then allow her to respond. Mm -hmm. I think that that's very important to remember. So we take away this aspect of assuming what people are thinking and how they feel. But also to your point, mom said sort of be, be wary of nice men. I would say be conscious of what somebody's intentions are and ask them up front. That's very what, true. What, what do you want? Instead yeah. of, because what it could, what that might come across as is saying, all nice men, you didn't say this, but I'm just giving you an example. Yeah. It might come across as all nice men are here to screw you over, or they're only here desiring one thing. And once they get this thing, that they're gone. And I think that that's not fair. What yeah. I would say is that let me, with intention, look at this person, how they present themselves, what do they really want, and then I have to give them a certain amount of time and opportunity to demonstrate, are they consistent or did they sort of come up and then they peaked and now they're coming down? Because if they're consistent, then that usually means that they are who they say they are. Mm -hmm. If they go up and down, that might mean that maybe their interest has died down or wavered. And so now they're not really willing to put in the same level of effort anymore, give the same level of attention anymore. Right. And, that, and that's the natural ebb and flow of relationships. You know, they don't, they're not linear. You don't just go on a straight line. There's ups and downs throughout any type of relationship of any kind. And romantic relationships in particular have their fair share of challenge because of what you mentioned a moment ago. We're not the same people. So we see things differently. Words mean things to each other. That words mean something different to each of us. So we have to clarify so much as you're getting to really know somebody. What do they mean when they say certain things? How do they really feel? Do they communicate effectively with me? They're all important aspects of trying to thoroughly vet and get to know a person. But I think sometimes we get caught up early on in the process and we're like, oh, well, it sort of appears this way. So I'm going to put my guard up and I'm going to back out or I'm not really going to give them the opportunity to really express how they feel or who they really are to me. I think I've seen enough. I got like that quick little snapshot and I'm going to go ahead and formulate the rest of this sentence. I saw this. I saw about 20 percent. I'm going to conclude the another 80 percent of who they are and what they really desire. And I think that just leaves us to develop this sort of cynical viewpoint or maybe jaded, if you will, as you get older, that everybody's out for something and people don't really want to build like real relationships and real families. But I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. That's just my viewpoint. No, I mean, it's, it, it definitely does make sense because there are good guys who truly are good guys. However, you know, like my mom kind of painted this kind of painted that for me, like not saying that it follows me now, 
But, you know, that's always in the back of my mind whenever I'm in communication with a guy or anything like that, where, you know, sometimes they aren't, they're just playing a game. They're playing this role where they're getting, trying to get what they want and that's it. They're gone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's something that I feel does happen, but definitely isn't 100% of the time. Okay. And I think that that's fair. I mean, that's, I think that's, it can be experiences, you know, that we hear. So sort of like we vicariously learn from other people. I just encourage us to also make sure that we're having our own experiences so that we can draw from them because it might help us be a little more hopeful of what's really out there. Now, there's a lot of people I'm sure who engage in uh, the dating space and the dating environment that are not really ready to do so. And we want those people to work on themselves so that they don't misrepresent perhaps an entire group or community of people because they show a very negative impression perhaps of what it's like to date out here. And we don't want us to, as a whole, to think that that's what it, it, it is going to be. I think yeah. if we are much more, again, intentional about how we do this, making sure that we work on ourselves, making sure that we communicate well, making sure that we're intentional about what we want, that it's not to say that it's always going to work, but it means that we don't have to have that sort of negative viewpoint after let's say it doesn't, or we choose not to continue talking. We don't have to have that negative viewpoint after the fact. You're like, you know what? We were just at different stages in life or we wanted slightly different things, but I appreciated that they were very open. They're very honest. They're very respectful. And it was generally a joy to be around them. It's just, we, we were at different points in life where we didn't want the same thing. Right. I feel that, you know, the, the communication beforehand is definitely really important because it kind of sets us up for what we might or might not want in that person. So, yeah. you know, I definitely feel that, you know, communication in theory, saying it out loud seems so easy, but then doing it for some other people, it's very difficult. Very true. And a lot of it, you know, a lot of it does boil down to, like we talked about earlier on in this conversation, that it stems a lot from what you experience when you're young, in my experience. If you don't come up in those environments where you feel comfortable to share, again, if I'm a young man like myself and not having that secure female attachment with my mother the way ideally you would like me to have, then it can make it very difficult for me to attach to, let's say, a healthier relationship with a woman. You can find somebody, but it might not be the best situation for you to be in. And same thing for a young lady, if she doesn't have that good relationship with her father, she might end up seeking out individuals that she really has no business messing with or talking to mm -hmm. with any level of seriousness. But a lot of this is based on the environments that we come through. So my challenge to us is to say, yeah, but once we're of age, right, you're 20, so I would say you're of age, to make sure that we're doing our part to work on ourselves so we know what we want to make sure that we're well-rounded, we're well-adjusted, we're addressing our own issues, but also that we're using that as opportunities to make sure that we are truly ready to put ourselves on the market, to take somebody seriously, to give them the opportunity to really get to know us and us to know them. We're increasing the likelihood that it's gonna be successful. You know, we're living from a probability standpoint. I wanna increase the chances that this is going to work. If I'm gonna go out with this person, that, this, that, that they actually might seriously want to date me. I don't want to be engaging in behaviors that is going to decrease it because I don't have my stuff together. I don't know what I want. I don't know how to communicate well. All of those are going to negatively impact the outcome. And I don't want to support that. I want to encourage the opposite of that. 
So I'm glad that you, you know, not only have continued to do your own work, like in therapy yourself, but also that you are willing to share a lot of those experiences with your family and people that you respect to get insight, to understand that I need to also be able to look outside of myself mm -hmm. if I want to be successful in having a long-term relationship, right? Because you have a good example, not maybe the best example. I don't think anybody has the best one, but I have a good example in my home. Yeah. You know, I feel that the, your relationship begins with you because mm -hmm. if you aren't kind to yourself or if you're not doing well yourself, then how are you going to be good to another person? Correct. It's, it's so true. Like it may not seem obvious at first, but it's like, if you're not treating yourself with enough love and care, then how can you do that with someone else? Absolutely. I mean, you, you, you can't give to somebody else, but you don't give to yourself. Right. That's that, that to me is foundational. I don't care who you are. Like when I hear and I'll, I'll take it a step further. I actually cringe when I hear people say like, I live for, I'm going to bring it back to parenting. Like I live for my children. That actually makes me cringe. Not because it's not an admirable thing to say, but because as we were talking about not too long ago, that requires me to basically shelve myself, the individual, and primarily overly identify with me as a parent. Well, why is that a problem? Because maybe that's how your mom feels. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm missing that piece, that fundamental piece. If I had three different roles, imagine you're cutting me in thirds, right? Yeah. So one third of me is not being satisfied. That's a problem. That's going to impact me as an individual, me and my relationship, me with my children. It will. And so we don't want to condone or encourage that type of behavior. No, I need to be working on me so I know what I need. I'm loving myself enough to be able to afford that to somebody else. And then vice versa. You, you give that because that's what you want to return. Not, yeah. I haven't figured that out yet. So I'm just hoping that somebody's going to be able to give me an abundance of it. And I'll just be content with that. No, people want to be able to get reciprocated. And I know a lot of men, we don't necessarily say that we want to be validated or affirmed, but we do. We just don't express it, but we right. really do. We want to see it in, in return and it may come in different ways, but I believe we do appreciate when we can get it from our, our, our women. And um, it, that's the importance, like you said, to make sure we're working on ourselves. So that way we're increasing the chances that not only are we attracting quality people that we may want to take seriously, but we're increasing the likelihood that it's going to work, mm -hmm. right? Like sooner rather than later, not like a 15-year process. Maybe it's a five-year process. Maybe it's a two-year process, mm -hmm. you know, to decrease that chances of, you know, disappointment and, and heartbreak. Right. And it's like something that I remember a lot from what I've heard just around like in life is, if you let you have to surround yourself with people who are either going to like benefit you or like, you know, people that you actually enjoy being around, like the people you hang around are like as a reflection of yourself. Of course. Which I highly believe that because there was um, this point in time last year where when was it that I that this happened? I was experiencing some toxic friendships where mm -hmm. I knew that these friendships were making me feel good as a person, made me feel horrible or made me feel less of what I thought um, of myself. And it came to the point where I had to 
let them go. And it, I do not regret that decision. No, it's, and I've talked about that as well uh, in therapy with people. You know, sometimes you you have people around you that don't necessarily have your best interests in mind, or it could also be, I've had this personal experience where you want to bring people along that sometimes we outgrow. I I may have wanted to keep you on my in my life because I find you to be a valuable person, but my life is transitioning in this direction and you seem to still be going down this path. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we may just be outgrowing each other, not necessarily that the, you know, the person is is a bad person, but we're not going on the same or similar trajectories anymore. Right. And so sometimes I have to be willing and understand that I have to let that person go. We're sort of bifurcating, we're splitting off. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It happens. The older we get, I, I, I feel that from what I've observed, our circles tend to get smaller because Absolutely. you go from being around lots and lots of people and then it slowly shrinks more mm-hmm. and more and more. Absolutely. And you get to the you, 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 you get mm-hmm. to the point where circumstances change and you start hopefully becoming more around individuals that are on a similar path as you, as, as you mentioned. Yeah. Like I could definitely relate to that. Um, there are friends that I was close with in certain years of high school where we would go on to the next year and we wouldn't be as close, which, you know, it, it happens. Like, it's like mm-hmm. you said, we're growing in different directions. We're hanging out, we're in different classes. We're hanging out with different people, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel that it's such like it's a normal thing that happens and you know sometimes people grow people you know grow into these people that you don't like which is another thing that happens where you know you first meet this person they're really nice blah 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 they meet other people they hang out with other people they 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 talk with other people and then they you're they aren't who you've seen like for the first time that you met them anymore and mm-hmm. it just happens yeah no, it definitely happens. I mean, that's the the constant ebb and flow and the change that we all experience, right? As we get older, some people, you know, I would only, I would hope that we're not the same people we were a year ago, two years ago, or five years ago. That we're mm-hmm. constantly changing, hopefully for the better. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that just because somebody was present and there at my life at this particular moment in time, that they're going to be there at this moment in time, because right. life unfortunately doesn't doesn't go like that yeah it's very it can be very unpredictable you never know who you're going to meet and what other situations you might be presented with so the way i sort of look at it is just making sure we have a good core around us of people that we care about whether that be friends family romantic partner what have you and making sure that we're communicating very consistently and intentionally about what we want what we need and are things going in the trajectory, the direction and trajectory that we were um, looking for and if not be willing to have those conversations about if things aren't going as expected, then we need to really be honest about what we're doing. Can we repair it? Can we get on the same page? Or perhaps we need to split off because we're actually growing in different directions now. Yeah, it's it's something that it's like a bittersweet thing where, you know, you meet them. They're great. You think that you're going to be best friends forever and it just doesn't end up that way, which, you know, like it's yeah. normal, like it's life. I am lucky to say that I have had my best friend of how many years since we were like eight years old, third grade. Me and him are still friends to this day. And we have been on different paths doing different things, but we still manage or we at least try to hang out every week and, you know, or 
to that point, like we always try to make sure that we're in touch, check up on one another, because this is a friendship that neither him or I want to lose because, you know, it's it like if you make the effort, like if you really, really want them in your life, then you will. Of course. I think that's to me, that's universal to any person you're talking about. We choose when we want to make time. If you don't want somebody to be there, then you'll, you know, we'll come up with a bunch of reasons why we are unavailable. But to me, the truth is, no matter how busy you are, and we, we of course, need to be understanding if a person is busy, but we can make, if we're communicating well, we can demonstrate that we're making the effort to be there, to be present and available. Um, but when we're not, a lot of times, yeah, it indicates that we're not willing to maintain the effort necessary to keep the relationship going for whatever relationship it is. Mm -hmm. And you know, in some cases, in some cases it is what it is. You know, we we grow out of each other, we grow away from each other, and it's not a situation where it can truly be rekindled because we're just going in different directions. And I think that that's fine. But if we lose people because we're un unwilling or unavailable to make the time, that's different to me. That's yeah. more of like we're making a choice, mm -hmm. either consciously or unconsciously, to do so. Either way, you got to be accountable. We're all adults. Yeah. So if you want the person to be there, make them feel wanted and make some effort to have them around. For sure. You know, so either way, um, this has been a very, very interesting conversation. I appreciate the the willingness to have a lot of the, I would say, more vulnerable aspects of your lived experience so far and sharing them. I think that I'm very confident there's some people out there that can identify with what you shared. I mean, I certainly did as well. And even the fact, you know, that you talked about, like, not really dating yet, I think that you're also doing a good job of understanding what you're looking for. And I think that that's healthy because you're going to be able to articulate that to somebody. Mm -hmm. Again, so it helps you with like screening, right? Screening people. Yeah. And so I like that you've done that. And again, I'm happy that your parents help give a good example of what a healthy relationship can look like. No relationship is perfect. No family is perfect. But if we're doing the best that we can and working on ourselves, that we're setting a better example of what our children can expect. Doesn't mean we can't raise the bar a bit. And more importantly, we're hopefully ending up in more healthy, lasting, long lasting relationships with people of, of every kind. So I appreciate you for making the time to discuss a lot of this. And I may, may have to bring you back on to talk about maybe some different subjects, but maybe along the same line of thought with the relationship side, who knows, maybe you'll go on some dates and then we can talk about what that was like and how you've learned from that experience moving forward. Anything is possible. I mean, you know, it's like at this point in life, um, I'm really happy and I'm really happy with how I'm progressing in the things that I like to do. So, you know, it's one of those things where if it comes, then it comes. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. I'm happy either way. That's very good. I'm glad you said that. I think it's being happy with yourself first. Yes. And, know and knowing that you're doing the work necessary to attain that and maintain that. But then also, I think that helps give you the emotional space necessary to then really be able to be open to meeting somebody. Because again, if you're not feeling fulfilled, which is a part of you being happy, if you're not, if you're not happy, you're also saying you're not feeling fulfilled in your life, mm -hmm. then it's going to be really hard to plug somebody else in because they might just kind of be a band-aid, so to speak, over mm -hmm. the issue. The real right. issue is me within 
but I'm sort of covering it with, hey, Marissa's here. She's awesome. So I'm going to focus on that and not worry about the other things that I'm not doing for myself that make me feel fulfilled with my life. That's not a good strategy. Right. So I, I like the way you said that. I think that that's, to me, that's foundational. If you want to have a good relationship with somebody, you got to make sure you feel very at whole and at peace with yourself. Because it's like you said, those problems will continue to stay there unless you yourself do something about it. A person cannot, another person cannot help you solve your personal problems, whether it be, no. you know, um, no matter how extreme the problem may be or how minimal the problem may be, as you can't use someone else to cover up the things that you need to fix. No, that's... We just call that distraction or right. being a being that's avoidant behavior. That's not going to. And I would say I'll, I'll make one last point on that. That's like when if we break up with somebody or we get broken up with a relationship falls apart and then we jump into a new relationship very quickly thereafter. That's sort of using that person to help us avoid dealing with the reflection that needs to happen to learn what happened, to learn right. what didn't go well to learn what they did, to learn what I did and what would I do differently and what would I expect differently from that new person so that we can be successful next time. But sometimes we don't do that because we just, you know, it's hard to want to sit in hurt and pain. So we just jump into a new situation with somebody without really understanding that I need to take this time to myself and really learn because number one, the relationship maybe didn't have to fail. Maybe I needed to work on myself first. I, maybe I could have done that while I was still in that relationship. So that things could have worked out. Maybe I needed to take a step away from the relationship and work on myself, or maybe the relationship truly had, had truly run its course, but I still need that time on my own to learn what I can improve upon and what areas should I look for in the next person to make sure that I, I sort of, again, screen those things out as appropriate. But that requires us to really take the time and be, again, very mindful about what we're doing. But a lot of times we might find ourselves just kind of jumping and leaping into something else because it makes us feel good at the moment. But there's other unintended side effects and consequences that can occur because we're just jumping into situations. Yep. Right. But regardless, we, we, I think I feel very confident you're not going to do that. You haven't <laughs> had any of those experiences. So you can learn and benefit from everybody else's experience and hopefully not have to go through any strong degree of hardship. Yeah, you know, can't escape everything. But if there are the obvious things that I do know, I, I will know and I will not, you know, fumble yeah. with that. No, no doubt. Well, e either way, we appreciate you for making the time and to, and to talk about it, because I think it's important that people, even in your age demographic and just women in general, to hear this and to understand that, you know, it is normal. Some of the experiences that you're talking about, some of the challenges that you've mentioned today. And the purpose is to really make sure that we're making it safe and comfortable to articulate and verbalize a lot of this stuff. That's always the purpose of the platform and what we're trying to do here. So mm -hmm. for you being on both sides, thank you for not only contributing to help this content exist the way that it does, but also to now bear a lot of your own challenges and things that you've experienced for the listeners out there. So thank you for being here. It is a pleasure and I can't wait to come back. All right. I'm going to. That's another one.